Hi, and thanks for coming and listening to the podcast today. This is going to be a podcast that's a little bit longer uh, than I typically do solo. It's about the power of breaking family curses and healing your inner child. It's probably going to be a little bit intense. So um, if you're doing something that you're not going to be able to really focus and, and listen, I just want you to be aware that we're going to talk about some really deep issues. So when we talk about childhood... Childhood is probably one of the most important times of our lives because it forms and defines our ideas on everything. And we take those ideas into our life as adults. So it forms our love relationship ideas, our ideas on love, what it was, how we were loved, how people love, how people don't love. It forms our potential our ideas of what our potential can be and will be and is. It defines our values and our worth, the romantic relationships that we have. It defines our health and our happiness and how our thoughts and our feelings that we come with and that we were influenced in our younger years by those who were our caretakers or influenced us and how we take those into our adult lives. So if our relationships with our parents were damaging, we often wind up sharing in our parents' pain and their parents' pain and so on. And that's why I talk about it as a family curse or healing your ancestral pain. So if you now find yourself as an adult who has an emotionally abusive parent, it's going to be up to you to take control of your life now and heal yourself and live the life that you want to live because happiness and truth are yours to have but you have to be able to see through the miasma of your childhood you need to understand that you're not responsible for the damage done to you by emotionally abusive or neglectful parents and this damage is really complex and it runs deep And ultimately, we're responsible for healing the damage in our lives. And in another podcast, I'll talk about the spiritual implications of this. There are a lot of theories that we choose our parents, etc. But the truth is, is we really don't know. And if we do, we're still responsible for healing our lives. And we're responsible for taking the experience and learning and knowing that we can heal it so that we can make the world a better place. You're responsible for your happiness and you're responsible for yourself, your life and your choices right now. And doing this means we have to look at ourselves with utter and absolute self-acceptance, warts all, the good, the bad, the ugly. We have to commit to undoing the damage that's been years in the making. This is how we break a family curse. We become better people. We raise our children differently. We treat ourselves differently. We treat ourselves better. We raise the bar and we raise the standard of how we allow people to treat us how we allow them to speak to us, and we accept nothing less. And in return, we also treat people with respect, or 
we set a boundary and we do not allow those people to affect us or have anything to do with us in our lives, at least as much as we can. Sometimes we work with people that are utterly toxic and disrespectful. This podcast is stressing the importance of being responsible for self and taking responsibility for yourself and for only yourself. And I don't mean that you shirk responsibilities such as caring for your children, your pets, your work, or your home. I'm speaking to being responsible for releasing and healing the broken parts of ourselves. As we heal, the world heals. When you change, everything changes. We can be happy. We can live fulfilling lives, although we had an emotionally abusive childhood. We have to accept who we are, and then we have to accept who we want to be. And then you have to know that you can become that which you want to be. So it's through acceptance, instead of rejecting who we are, we accept who we are. And then we accept who we want to be. We have to stop rejecting that person that we want to be by listening to that inner self-talk, that inner critic that says, you can't do that. That came from your childhood. Our memories from childhood are often a mixed bag. They're good or they're bad. And, you know, they can determine, you know, what we consider a good experience and a bad experience. We remember the good times playing outside with friends or the closeness of having friends and people around us who loved us. And then we remember the abuse. So it can be a mixed bag. And it can be confusing for us because then if the emotions are more strong, powerful around the abuse, we happen to fall into that thinking instead of remember the goodness. And so it is a habit of retraining your mind to think about the good and the love that you had, not letting the abuse drown that out. So it's going to begin with paying attention so as, a, as children, when we're emotionally neglected by a parent, it means that our parents didn't respond to our emotional needs, or should I say, respond to our emotional needs at a very critical stage in our development. We didn't receive the validation or the love and the caring that we needed. Emotionally neglected means to be emotionally abandoned. When a child is emotionally abandoned and doesn't know what to do with their feelings, they have to put them somewhere. So the way they make or take that information in and categorize it in their neurological system, in their, in their minds, and in their synapses, and their feelings, in the brain, it's going to determine a lot of the reactions that you experience today because those are old looping thoughts and reactions and feelings that are very powerfully created when you're children, and they can be very deeply buried within you. And we don't see them, we just react to them, and we're triggered by them. Emotional neglect can also be an extreme narcissism on the part of the parent. A lot of parents are completely involved with themselves and not with their children. They leave their kids to fend for themselves emotionally. Sometimes it's the unwillingness of a parent to do the work emotionally that needs to be done. And so they become an inadequate parent. People have to recognize their children's needs 
And the reason they don't recognize that is because their needs weren't recognized. So they don't get it. That's part of the problem. And that's why we try to heal the ancestry. We work to heal that instead of repeating it and continuing to blame. And some people don't care to recognize anything emotionally. They just literally check out, maybe through alcohol, through drugs. Maybe they use violence through their words. You know, psychologically, they're, they're abusive. Emotionally, they're abusive. Emotional neglect is really subtle. It's different in that it isn't like physical or psychological abuse. For example, when a parent may hit a child or punish them by sending them to their room or demeaning them or screaming horrible things at a child. And so emotional neglect is very similar to a silent storm. We don't see the consequences until we're in our own adulthood. And these behaviors and these beliefs begin to percolate to the surface and they come up through our interactions with other people. And we might have an unwillingness to take a risk or we are unwilling to advance in our lives because of this abuse that we suffered. And it's ever so subtle. You'll find yourself not wanting to move forward to get the promotion because you've got this inner critic, right? That's killing you. And, you know, maybe you don't want to go deeper into the relationship because you're afraid that if they really find out who you are, they're not going to love you. And so recognizing and overcoming emotional abuse is going to require brutal honesty. And as my friend told me, it requires an incredible amount of self-compassion. You have to apply that to your daily life. It's about understanding yourself and being compassionate with the brokenness of our childhood, of our inner child. It means that we find happiness in learning how to correct these behaviors within ourselves and these thoughts within ourselves and the self-talk. And we start to love ourselves for who we are. And we start to break the habit and pattern of thinking over and over again about what a horrible childhood we had. And we start to understand the why behind it. Why would a parent do something like that? And it's because hurt people hurt people. In my work and in my own life, not not only myself, but everyone I speak to has experienced in some way, shape, or form, or witnessed some of the different aspects of emotional abuse. It's almost like we don't get out of it unscathed. So, in it, And if we think we do, sometimes we find there's something very, very deeply within us um, that comes out and we go, oh, that's why I do that. An emotionally abusive parent is one who dismisses the emotional needs of their child. They refuse to show affection or they withhold affection. For example, if the child does something that the parent thinks is wrong, the parent will go absolutely cold on the child. And they treat the child in a way that they don't even want to look at them and they ignore them entirely. It's a denial of affection. And it's an awful feeling because all the child can think about is, please love me. Please recognize me. I don't want to be bad. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be wrong. And if you ever notice that you wind up with people who are emotionally unavailable in friendships or relationships or who ghost you or ignore you or breadcrumb you, one of the reasons is, is that you might choose these people because of the very treatment you received as a child. And the funny thing is, is that you'll wind up asking yourself, what did I do wrong when you're ghosted and you didn't do anything wrong? You see, when your primary caretaker denies you affection, you don't feel secure. 
and you can't thrive as a little person. What this does is it inflicts deep and long-lasting trauma that you remember over and over again, and it creates relationships and imbalances in the future. Why do you wind up having dysfunctional relationships? Because you had dysfunctional relationships with your parents, and you're going to continue to have a dysfunctional relationship in your adulthood if you don't recognize what you were not given. And then you have to recognize what it is that you actually do need. And it can't be a clinging. Oh my God, I have to have this from this person. You have to give me all your love. You have to give me all your attention and text me every 10 minutes. And I have to know where you are at every moment of the day because I'm so insecure. That isn't what I'm talking about. You have to actually deal with that insecurity. You have to recognize why you have that insecurity, why you push people away or why you cling to people. We'll talk about it later in the podcast. It's your attachment style. Men and women often get into relationships with people who try to isolate them. It's the boyfriend or girlfriend or the lover or spouse who doesn't want you to have any outside interests or outside relationships. Parents do this to kids too. They don't allow them to participate in what we call normal activities. And this is a sort of extreme thing, but they limit the child's ability to learn or to discern and have the experiences that they need to have. And it inhibits the child and it gives them a sense of fear of the world around them because they don't get to have the experience. And when this happens, it exerts a greater control, not only of the relationship, but of the mind and the emotions of the child and of the person as an adult, if you have someone doing this to you. And it can literally affect your behavior because being isolated creates a different behavioral pattern. Many of these parents use more extreme forms of punishment, which inflicts distress upon the child, and the child can't ever relax. A child winds up being stressed all the time and acts out in school. I know children that have had sweaty palms, I mean, dripping wet, sweaty palms, because they're constantly anticipating what sort of punishment a parent is going to inflict on them once they're picked up from school. It's like living in a Stephen King novel. It's horrifying. When I worked at the district attorney's office years ago, um, and I worked, I worked in the victim witness unit, and I actually headed up the domestic violence unit for women, and we opened that. But there was a lot of child abuse. There was a boy that got into the foster care system and jumped out of a second-story building and came to the district attorney's office because they were putting cigarettes out in his back as a form of punishment. Now that's just fucked up and sick. And this happens to both men and women. So when we find that we want to be in a relationship so badly, we put up with another person creating emotional distress because kids fear the punishment and the repercussions that they suffer from living their own life and enjoying life. And when they come home, their partner will do things like ignore them and they'll become very cold and distant or they become disdainful, or they speak really horrible words to them. And sometimes there's physical abuse and it goes both men and women. So men and women are both victim to this. And this is a lot of the reasons we pick the people that we pick. It's very, it's very familiar. 
It's very comfortable, but I call it comfortably uncomfortable because you know that it's not right. You know that this form of love is very skewed and, and I don't know if we can even categorize it as love. Parents who used corporal punishment and would spank or hit a child or do worse things like lock them in closets or, you know, there's other facets that they have to deal with because they have the psychological factor and the emotional factor. So they actually suffer some of the worst abuse because their parents create a feeling of terror. It's psychological, emotional, and it's physical. And the child's always anticipating what sort of severe punishment the parent's going to inflict on them. And they know that it isn't them. They know that the parent's just angry. And the parents that do this grew up in a home. They were terrorized as well. Terror teaches a child to hide or to fear or to not open up. And this constant terror erodes all sense of trust and safety because your home is supposed to be your safe place. Your caretaker is just supposed to be that, a caretaker. Many times a child will protect the parent for fear that if they do expose a parent or they do expose what's going on in the family home, that the adult that they are living with, and and for example, if they confess to the adult that they're supposed to confess to, let's just say a teacher or a social worker, that they'd turn on them too. And so now they are going to be inflicted or, or there is going to be pain inflicted by the parent because if the social worker turned on them, the parent's going to beat them anyway. You see, so it erodes all their trust in everyone and everything. And the only thing that they know is survival. So they shut it down and they shut it up and they deny what's happening. They are usually pretty brainwashed by the abusive parent as well, that nobody is there for them. Nobody will rescue them. They're not worth anything. And sometimes they're told that they're worthless. And this is why they are constantly being beaten. And in a young mind that has been brought up in this environment, they believe through and through that it's true. It takes deep work to undo these wounds. On the flip side, there are many children and understand and know that their parents are really sick, but it doesn't take away the pain. Children are stuck living with parents like this many times, and the foster care winds up being a hundred times worse sometimes. My mom used to tell me that the worst thing you can do to somebody is ignore them. When a parent goes out of their way to ignore the needs of their child, including when the child needs medical attention, it leaves the child with a sense of being unwanted and that their needs are not worth consideration. Children need validation because that validation guides them towards future social skills and their abilities and understanding to take into the future to create a healthy adult life. And when they're denied that by their caretakers, it leads to major emotional upsets later on. Parents sometimes also corrupt the senses of a child, the sense of right or wrong. And they don't not, they not only teach their children to engage in behaviors that are antisocial, but sometimes they're downright malicious. And they chide the child until they engage in these behaviors. And it goes against the sense of self because the child either learns to be malicious or they are maliciously attacked. They can encourage the child to hurt themselves or hurt other people. 
and to damage the psychological and the emotional feelings of other people. I had a client that continually saw doctors when she was a young girl, and she took this into her, I think her early 30s, if I remember correctly. And this is how she got attention. She was never really sick, but she always had something that was very severe and it got her attention from friends and families. And, you know, she'd either wind up at the doctor or the emergency room or at the hospital, or she would be in bed, you know, doubled over and everybody would give her this attention. You know, it was poor you. And in her late 20s, she met a guy she fell in love with. And they actually had a really decent relationship. And in the beginning, you know, he wanted to care for her until she started to continue to have these physical and mental and psychological and emotional meltdowns. It's how she dealt with everything. I did something wrong. You don't approve of me. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to be really sick and I'm going to ignore it. And this was an old habit and pattern that she had acquired from her childhood because the parents were more into money and business, not taking care of the kids. So that's how she got her attention. And she also started to manipulate this guy emotionally, but he wasn't going to have it. And it was the biggest turning point in her life because he didn't owe her anything. And he told her that I don't have to take care of you. And I don't have to put up with your emotional outbursts. And then I don't have to put up with this and try and take care of you and feel sorry for you. And he broke up with her because she was toxic and controlling. And when she was sitting in the hospital and they were doing tests, she called me and she said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, your habits have gotten way out of control. And we talked about it. And she said, well, I feel really alone. I said, then you better rip that IV out of your arm, get your shit together and change. And she didn't really have an IV in her arm. The IV is the drugs that I'm talking about mentally and emotionally that she fed off of. It's like rip the needle out of their arm. It's like a heroin for them. And the more that you give that toxic behavior attention, the more they do it. So the guy ripped the needle out of her arm, basically, literally, on an emotional and a psychological level. And so she changed she decided that her emotional needs could be met without drama. Her parents, I think, considered the kids' needs trivial and it wasn't important. It was more important to be in society and make a lot of money. But that's also because their emotions had been shut down. Their kids were brushed off and they felt hurt and rejected, but their parents did that to them. Emotions weren't important. Feelings weren't important. Shut it up and shut it down. That's what their parents taught them. And when our needs are dismissed, it only buries them deeper and deeper in the subconscious mind. And we wind up having very interesting reactions to things. So when we're in relationships and we find that we completely overreact to the smallest trivial things, it's because it's a trigger for us not getting our needs met. And this is some of the reasons that men and women call each other crazy. You know, it's the reasons that people are always stalking somebody because they don't trust, even when the person is trustworthy. It creates all kinds of interesting behaviors. Like I said, the mind is a very interesting place to dwell. And when we're just coming into our early teens and we're pushed societally, emotionally, mentally, and physically to be normal, This is one of the reasons we struggle to resolve and accept our childhood traumas. We think our experiences are invalid 
because the adults in our lives are telling us to get over it. And I think everybody's had this experience. It's a feeling of being invalidated. It could be anything from a family member to a teacher to a friend. We want to fit in, especially when we're in our early teens and our teens period. We want to feel normal. We want to be perceived as normal. We don't even know what normal is. People are telling us what normal is. So we decide it didn't really matter. And we become the square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And what we're really saying is, is our feelings didn't matter and we don't matter. And we don't see that nothing is further from the truth. Just because these things are not accepted and acceptable societally doesn't mean that they're not damaging and doesn't mean that they're not traumatic. Just because these traumatic things happen doesn't mean that we don't matter and our feelings don't matter. They do matter. Our feelings are telling us as children, as human beings, this doesn't feel right. This feels wrong. But we learn to bury it instead of acting it out. Or we do act it out in our relationships and in our adult lives. Because very buried deeply within us is a wound. And it keeps saying, you're not enough. When I teach my workshops on success, many of the obstacles that stand in people's way are the old beliefs that they had from childhood trauma. From somebody telling me that they would never get ahead, that they would never be enough, that no one would ever want them, and that they were bad, and so on. And I know I've experienced this. We've got a long litany of things that happened to us as children. But this is why I talk about taking responsibility for it and learning that we can change it. We have to learn to change our habits. You see, a child doesn't have a coping mechanism until they're over the age of seven. They cannot reason. They're like a sponge and they take all the information in. They don't know how to filter. There's no filter there. So they they internalize all these big bad things that have happened to them. And when a child internalizes these things, they start to believe that they deserve this kind of treatment. And they think that it's their fault. They think that it's caused by them. And they don't realize this because they can't see that the fault lies within the caretaker. The caretaker has the inability to direct the child because they were never directed. So a child believes that they deserve this treatment. And these are the things that we need to unbind and unwind. This is where we get the idea, I wasn't good enough. I'm not enough. And it began to formulate. And as adults, we internalize that trauma. And we turn away from it by saying, I guess I'm not enough. I guess it's my fault. I'm not a good enough person. So-and-so deserves that. I don't. I must deserve this or it wouldn't have happened to me. And then come the insecurities. I know many parents, you know, chide their children with, you know what, so-and-so did a better job. I guess they deserve it because they worked harder. You know, the kid didn't even get any direction. So it's no wonder somebody else did a better job. And if a child doesn't have that drive or they're afraid to, you know, employ their drive and their passion because they were told you're not good enough, it keeps the child bound emotionally, psychologically. 
And this podcast isn't an easy podcast because it begins to show us that some of the most uncomfortable things that we've buried within ourselves are the very thing that are keeping us from living a life that we want. But we have to be willing to take that little tiny step forward to make the change because we have to know that we are deserving of great things, of great love, and it means something to us. You are deserving of all of that. Great love, great wealth, great health and happiness, and a great, wonderful relationship. As adults, when our parents look back, a lot of times they don't think that what they did was wrong or they can't admit it. And we feel that they did. And sometimes we don't get that apology. And sometimes we do. And, you know, sometimes they just want to make it nice and fluffy and pretty. And sometimes we're shamed into silence. And there are family members that convince you to bury the trauma, pretend it never happened. And if you don't, They'll blame you and say you caused it. It just pulls you farther into your own darkness and the darkness of their abuse. It creates more of the victim mentality. It it literally re-victimizes the victim. When somebody asks you to shut up and silence the abuse, but you have to know something, you're not a victim anymore. You're an adult now. And that's just really something that you have to get your head around. You now have the responsibility and the power to change it. You see, you do have a power. You can say no to it and you can strengthen yourself. In my manifestation workshops, when I ask someone what they want and why they want it, I ask this question because many times what they don't realize is the impact that abuse had on their lives. Abuse can be a stealer of happiness The inner critic goes wild and the child blames themselves and they don't believe that they're deserving and they don't know how to get there and they don't know how to remove the blocks or how to heal the inner child. That's what happens. You will sometimes hit a wall and you're like, why am I not able to manifest what I want? Why can't I have the things that I want? You can. You have to remember you're creating your life and that the barriers are often in your way because at the root of it, you don't feel deserving and lovable. And so we start to talk about creating affirmations that are going to be realistic and something that you can accept about how you do deserve, that you deserve love. You're deserving of a great love. When parents implanted the opposite, you know, we can't live up to that. And so It's literally the responsibility of being your own parent now, supporting yourself now, guiding yourself to a wonderful life now, because you have to know they didn't know. In my podcast on self-esteem, what we learn is that we feel unworthy and we learn that we weren't worthy of being loved because we weren't good enough or smart enough or pretty enough or skinny enough or successful enough or athletic enough. There's always something that we weren't enough of, but these again are limiting beliefs. And so they're not real. And once we bring them to light, we have the option to choose to let it go and free ourselves from the limiting beliefs. And it's a process. And sometimes people can do it immediately and just say no more and they change it. And sometimes it's a process. We deserve to be treated well. We have to rewrite that script. We have to rewrite the self-talk. We have to rewire our brains and begin to affirm 
the life that we want to live, and then we have to believe it by placing the onus of the responsibility where the abuse belongs, on the abuser. And we have to let go and forgive ourselves for holding on to the pain because we didn't know any better. And then we start to look at healing our ancestry. Some people say to me, I can't forgive. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But when you forgive them because they truly didn't know what they were doing because their parents taught them and their parents taught them that and and so on, and it is an ancestral link, you got to break the link one way or another. And what you hold in your heart is going to determine how you live your life. So remember, if you open your heart and you release the pain and you turn it into healing yourself and forgiving yourself and forgiving others, it's going to be a lot easier and it's going to feel a lot better. And if you find yourself hanging on to that anger and that pain, I know that there's a power in that for many people. It can propel you forward. But if it starts to bring you down and it starts to ruin your relationships and shit starts to go sideways, you need to reconsider what it is that you're feeling. You know, it's okay to let go of your anger. It wasn't your fault. Stop denying yourself the opportunities that allow you to thrive and live a life of your dreams. Remember that you were an innocent child, and it was up to your parents to provide the emotional stability and the affection and the love and the honor that you deserve as a human being. So don't take on that guilt. Don't blame yourself because it wasn't your fault. You see, when we truly don't know, how can it be our fault? And yeah, that's sometimes the way that we learn. And it hurts, but we have to make it better. So now this is going to bring us to an attachment style or our attachment styles. And we learn from our parents and those old fears and insecurities like fear of abandonment. And that affects us directly and indirectly in our relationships. You might find yourself in a relationship that's really push-pull. You might always choose the emotionally unavailable person. Like the only person in the room of 50 people is there one emotionally unavailable avoidant person, and that's going to be your shining star. You know that? I know a lot of men and women that are like, why do I always? And it's like, this is why. Because you wind up with the emotionally unavailable person or the emotionally avoidant person or the emotional basket case and the drama king or the drama queen because that was your experience, which you know, that's how you were loved. It feels good. It gives you that buzz because you're chasing that thing and it feels comfortably uncomfortable and it starts to feel abusive and it starts to suck. You might be the person that's walled off yourself and you have a hard time expressing emotionally what you need because you weren't allowed to feel what you felt. So you have to look more deeply. You have to identify these things and write them down. Pain is your friend. It will show you the path that you're going down and why. If you ask the question, what are you showing me besides that the relationship is an absolute mess? And then decide you're not going to participate in this anymore. And it's going to be hard because it's like peeling yourself away from something after you've gorilla glued yourself to it. And you're going to have to change your own thoughts and your own behavior and your own feelings because you're deserving of a healthy, lovey relationship. When you have broken relationships with your primary caretakers, 
You have broken relationships with friends and other family members and lovers and spouses and even your own children sometimes. And it bleeds into your work environment and those that you work with. Look at your attachment styles. They'll show by the behaviors or lack of behavior in your relationships with with the people that you involve yourself with, that you give yourself to, or you don't give yourself to. And ask yourself, what do I need? And then ask yourself if you're getting it. And if you're not, ask yourself, why not? And if you find yourself saying, well, because this person doesn't love me, this person won't give me what I need, or they withhold, or they don't communicate with me, or they're very, they're barely there. Think about your relationships back to your young child self. If you're afraid of being abandoned, and your partner constantly has you on pins and needles, you're being emotionally abused. When we have a lot of ups and downs in relationships and a lot of push-pull and a lot of drama, and we're always afraid of being abandoned and left, or we're afraid of being cheated on, or we're wondering what they're doing, we're choosing the person that never quite thinks that we're enough, because that same person that you are chasing or want to be in a relationship with doesn't think they're enough. So they just give that surface buzz. And if you're with someone who's constantly talking about how beautiful other women are or how great of shape a guy is in or whatever, you know, how much money they have or car they have or, you know, whatever, it's trying to make you feel insecure. Take a look at that. Doesn't that make you feel trapped, desperate? You have to try and be something better for them. Does it make you feel good about yourself or does it make you feel insecure and tap into those insecurities again? Maybe you're just not good enough. Maybe it's your fault because you're not thin enough. You don't hit the gym enough or you don't make enough money. or Your body isn't that great. And when somebody loves you, they love you completely and totally, even for those things that you feel are your flaws. You know, the girl that loves the guy because they drive the expensive car, the guy that loves the girl because she looks like a, a supermodel on a magazine or whatever it is, are those deep relationships or are they shallow? And are you trying to be something you're really not? Because when you start to really become who you are and who you want to be, and you can create whatever you want, you can be the person that has the great car and the supermodel and look great, but that has to be your true soul purpose. And that's okay. Some people, that's their sole purpose. Don't judge them. But is your heart full? It takes practice to to develop an outlook that's going to be more positive. But once you become mindful of the things that broke you down and you realize that you were dismissed or demeaned, and that you were raised under the shadow of emotional, physical, and psychological abuse. Your inner critic is your demon, and you're going to harness and you're going to tame it, and then you're going to ride it. That inner critic creates the struggle supreme, and that struggle is to see yourself in a positive light and to see others and life in a positive light. You grab that dragon, and you harness it, and you ride it, And you tell it what you're going to make it do. And the reason is because in these very formative years and the years where we didn't get a choice because you weren't able to reason between the ages of zero and seven, those years formed ideas that life wasn't safe, 
that people create and cause terror and that they'll isolate you and they'll abandon you. And then what? You couldn't even take care of yourself because you were so vulnerable. You were so young. So you went along with it. You had to find a way to make it work. So do you see a little bit more why you accept what you accepted? Why you accept what you accept now? Be gentle with yourself and recognize that it's a coping mechanism. And it was a coping mechanism that you put into place to protect yourself. You didn't need it. I mean, you didn't need any more emotional, psychological, or physical abuse, but that's how you coped. And now you don't need to cope anymore. Now it's time for you to lift your head and be the magical, beautiful being that you're supposed to be, the magical, beautiful being that you are. You learned that it wasn't safe to express your emotions. And now is a time for you to get a safe place to be able to do that. Get a journal. Start to write it down. Maybe you paint. Maybe you exercise. Maybe you scream into a pillow and you beat the shit out of something. But don't bury these unpleasant, hard emotions. Don't bury the unpleasant, hard emotions to cover for somebody else. They only fester further in your subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind will believe what you're telling it. These patterns of behavior and reactions can be changed. All you have to do is decide that you're going to change them, that you're going to do better and replace those old patterns with something good, with something new, with something desirable, because you do deserve. And right at the top of the page, I am loved and I am lovable. I deserve the great love. I deserve and fill in the blank. Whatever you want, wealth, health, happiness, you deserve to be loved. In my workshops, many people struggle to find love, to make more money, to be able to care for themselves, for their families in a way that's abundant without this constant stress. But most of all, what I find is that they haven't loved themselves and the truth of who they are and their purpose. So here's what I found works. You have to be honest with yourself. And this means accepting what happened to you and also accepting the mistakes that you made, the mistakes that were imparted to you. We have to take responsibility for our own mistakes, but we also have to give ourselves leeway to understand that we didn't know any better. And now that you do know better, you're becoming more mindful. So you can now change your mind. And I make sure to tell everybody, start small, because when you start small, you can achieve these goals. And every day you will achieve a new goal or reach a new plateau emotionally, and it's going to add up to something really big. For example, if you start out and you say, I'm going to get a million dollars tomorrow. Okay. Most likely you don't believe that, but you could say, I'm going to get a thousand dollars tomorrow or a hundred dollars tomorrow. And that is plausible. You can make that happen. You can do a million dollars in one day, but you got to work up to that if you don't have the belief. I talk a lot about journaling and writing down what we feel and then writing down how we're going to change it and that you will change it and that you will commit to it and that you do commit to it. Find the antithesis of those feelings that don't serve you and learn to incorporate the positive. They will drown out the things that are negative. We literally are recreating new habits. You see, that's what this is. They're old habitual ways of thinking and feeling. So you change those old habitual ways of thinking and feeling to what you want to think and feel. 
You may not believe it in the beginning. A lot of people are honest about that. But when you continue to convince yourself and actually do things to support that and you commit to it, you change your habits and patterns to be really positive and you will become more powerful. I'm big on finding a space where you can think all by yourself without being interrupted. Allow yourself some time every day. You have to have this no excuses. It can be meditation. It can be yoga. It can be a walk, run, ride your bike, or simply close the door to your bedroom or sit in your car or go in the bathroom, take a bath or a shower, but allow yourself the time to think, to feel what's in your heart. And when you begin to feel and think, listen, what are your emotional needs? When you recognize what your true emotional needs are, you're then able to give yourself that by not accepting the antithesis of it anymore. You start to realize, my God, what was I doing? I don't want to feel like this anymore. I deserve this. And you do start to realize, I do deserve this. If you find yourself replaying in your mind over and over those old abusive situations or habits and patterns, stop. See yourself rise above the earth by a thousand miles and look back down on the situation and replay it as if you were removed from it. Look at the way that your parent treated you. Look at the way that you responded. Watch the situation from a distance. And then remember, as a child, you were on your own. You had to fend for yourself with an abusive parent. And then stop and infuse yourself from above, still that thousand feet above the earth. Infuse yourself with a strength that's incorruptible and indestructible. Talk to that child. Tell that child, you're the adult now. You're here with that child. You will always protect it. And this is no longer the way that you will allow yourself to be treated. That you were loved and you were always loved and you will continue to be loved. Remember, those emotions were were created as a defense mechanism. How you coped. Wrap your arms around that child and love that child. And tell your, your child, yourself, now, we're healing. I will always protect you. I will always be there for you. And if you're wondering how to do that, you can listen to my podcast on boundaries. When we begin to understand the most difficult part is really understanding that our parents are human and that they had a very complex, flawed, and fucked up life themselves. Their experiences were just as emotionally corrupted. We have to use this understanding to cultivate acceptance of what happened to us because they had it happen. And it helps us understand how we're going to fix it. I specifically use the word understanding because when we truly understand something, it helps us recognize how we can remake it, how we can fix it, how we can make it better. You see, understanding is typically created by truly having the experience. And if you've had an experience, a hard experience, lean into it and know that no matter how much it hurts, just little chunks each day by chipping away at it, you're going to get comfortable with cultivating the acceptance of what was because it will propel you into your purpose beyond your pain. You're going to find your strength. 
and be able to love and help others and be loved. And others will help you. Most of all, you have to get yourself into a mental space. You have to have boundaries. You need to understand boundaries. So listen to the podcast on those. I won't bore you with that in this podcast, but boundaries are truly about self-respect. They lift you up. They say that no matter what, I know I'm worthy and I won't tolerate your bullshit or your pain anymore. You know that you can communicate your needs effectively. And that doesn't mean through words. It can be through actions. And I talk about that in the boundaries podcast. Setting boundaries isn't comfortable. But when you start to recognize what triggers you, what gets in your head, you can start to take care of yourself because you know yourself better. You know that you're priceless and you're going to teach others that you will not accept anything less. The only person that can deny you anything is you. Uh, And what I think you should deny are the people that try and poison your mind and your body and your soul and your spirit. Don't give them access to any of your triggers anymore. Heal those triggers. Know your worth and your value and you'll find wholeness. Self-compassion is becoming mindful and aware. It's taking an active role in your own healing. It's becoming aware of your faults, your mistakes, and celebrating your whole person and your whole being. Be mindful of yourself and of your needs emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. Let go of the need to be perfect for anyone or anything and just be the best version of yourself for yourself. That's where you shine. That's where success comes. It's there. If you don't like something about yourself, make a plan to change it. But only after looking at it boldly in the face and accepting it for what it is. Spend a few minutes each day practicing this and use it to make your life better. And always be grateful. Every day, write down five things that you're grateful for in in the morning and before you go to bed. Gratitude is the best way to deal with negative emotions so you can change it. I'm so grateful for the peace that I feel within my soul. I'm so grateful that I can handle all of my emotions. I am so grateful that my life is exactly how I want it to be. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you liked it. and. Um, If you do like it, please share it, please clap for it, please subscribe and do all of those things. And please also make the world a better place.